Hello and good day and welcome to MedTech Monday. We've got a very, very interesting show for you today. David Copeland, the Director of Human Factor Industrial Design at Zymedica is on. And as I say somewhere in this episode, when I was listening to it, as we were producing it, I learned something every time. Uh, and we've got a different format today. So do me a favor and just wait till after David Copeland and hang in there. We've got four minutes with Lisa Carmel from Zymedica, and she's talking about some great news from the largest medtech accelerator in the world. And for a little taste of what that'll be, there's a component of this medtech accelerator, which involves a $350,000 non-dilutive grant. Non-dilutive, don't give up anything. It's a grant, it's great. So don't go away, hang in there at the end of the episode. And now, without further ado, MedTech Monday. Hello, and welcome to MedTech Monday, a podcast about medical technologies, trends, entrepreneurship, and innovation. I'm your host, Danielle Sturm, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Tom Chiginski. Hello, Tom. Hello, Danielle. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Excited about this one. Good. Um, me too. And joining us today, all the way from Minnesota, we have David Copeland. Thank you for joining us, David. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Good. Um, so for all of our listeners, David is the Director of Human Factors Industrial Design at Zymedica and is joining us as a guest of our series in partnership with Zymedica, um, where we get to dive in deep into the regulated product development process and speak to leaders of all stages of that process that you know work at um, Zymedica. So with David today, we'll be focusing on what it means to be at the front end of design and how that really affects the entire development and commercialization process of regulated medical technologies and devices. So David, um, would you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself um, and your role at Zymedica? Yeah, sure. So small correction. Uh, my title is actually human-centered industrial design. It's a very clear distinction. We, years ago, before we actually um, you know, added human factor specialists to our team, we had human factors ID. It was kind of a uh, way of explaining to our clients, you know, that we were not just designers don't just make things look good. They also make things work well. So the human factors was part of our title with the reality is when we got human factors on board, we talked more about becoming human centered, which is really the focus of Zenmatic. And I could talk about that in a second for sure. So um, just a small detail. Um, yeah. So uh, I've been doing product development for the better part of 24 years or so. Um, I'm from Minnesota. And uh, you know, as a kid, I grew up, I was, in the, I was in the 70s, which is the best decade to ever be born in if you're into popular culture. Um, watching Star Wars, watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, you know, Alien, everything about that was a great era. And I got fascinated with sort of um, illustration and design and building things. I was a Lego kid, so I used to love making everything. Um, went into um, a college at Carnegie Mellon University, uh, thought I would go into illustration and fell into industrial design. And again, I, I, we had no idea what it was, or I had no idea what that activity was. In, in college or in high school, you, you hear about architect or you hear about, you know, trash, uh, uh, you know, or garbage man, you hear about park ranger. And I never knew about industri industrial design. So um, I went into college thinking I was going to go to illustration, love drawing. And then in our foundation classes, which a lot of colleges do, where they take a lot of the kids going to art and design, they bring you into a larger pool to expose you to all different kinds of facets of different um, art and design sort of specialities. And 
in addition to doing drawing, I get into 2D design and also 3D design, making physical things. And I realized that I've always really enjoyed that, whether it be building things with Legos or actually now, you know, designing products and now my, my, my you know, spare time building furniture and things like, like that, I, that I really enjoy. Um, I fell in love with it. And so, um, you know, graduated there from industrial design with, with that degree, came back to Minnesota, uh, worked in several different firms here, a lot of consumer uh, design. Um, so stuff for Nike and Bauer, uh, Dell computers and things like that. And, and something was kind of missing. Um, I enjoyed doing those projects, but um, didn't get a lot of, of sense of sort of satisfaction until I got involved in healthcare. And living in Twin Cities, we've got an amazing um, cachet of clients that are around. We've got uh, uh, Medtronic, Boston Scientific at the time was called St. Jude Medical, which is now Abbott Labs. And with the, um, the Mayo Clinic and 3M and the University of Minnesota, a lot of healthcare. And so I got exposed to some pretty early uh, projects with uh, MedGraphics, with Avacor, with St. Jude that really got me excited about healthcare and really moving the needle to creating um, pro- uh, solutions that are really going to help uh, people. And so, and then the challenges, I think, are very, very unique with healthcare. And so, fast forward in time, I worked in uh, the firm uh, Zymedica that, that was at the time called Item in Providence. And since then, I moved back to Minnesota. And about 10 years ago, I helped form the Minnesota office. And so I helped kind of guide our clients through early phase development activities um, in, you know, from my perspective. And as I, as I mentioned before, you know, going through design for many, many years, you, your, your career kind of changes a little bit, maybe less on the board and maybe a little bit more strategy and really help guiding teams and our clients through early phase development and navigating how to deliver um, some good technologies to, to, to market. Mm-hmm. And through your work with Zymedica and kind of working on that front end, what does that mean? And I'm coming from a side of I have no design experience. I've only been really like um, seen it through working with Nemec over the past three years. And still on that side, I still work on more of the back end, like business development strategy. What does kind of the functions look like on the front end of design? That's a great question. Um, it, and I think I'll jump into a little bit about, um, you know, we see development as, as collaboration. It is not one entity doing something and then passing it to somebody else. So I think fundamentally, um, there's a whole spectrum of, of activities that we do at Zymedica, but on the front end, as, as we're terming it, it's largely what we call phase zero, phase one, early phase two sort of work where you're trying to figure out what you need to actually design and, and develop. And oftentimes we are closely paired with our research and strategy teams and human factors teams to go out in the field and understand the user and understand the workflow, understand the challenges they may have. And so uh, we like to watch and we like to listen and like to ask questions. And so that observation is really important because sometimes our clients say, oh, we know exactly what the next generation product needs. We're, we, we got everything figured out. And they're looking at it from a engineering perspective or from what a salesperson may say versus really watching users and understanding some of the workarounds and unique things that users do to make things work better for them. So I think the early phase is definitely that user side of, of, um, of kind of observation and exploration, as well as understanding a client's business goals. And then also the, the technology uh, aspects to it and, and their needs and really taking all of those inputs 
and starting to create a vision for something. Because I think sometimes you can get paralyzed. If someone says, we're going to make the next greatest generation uh, thing, if they don't know how or where to start, they may get sort of stuck. So I think we take a user-centered approach to things, but really want to uh, marry it to what the you know our clients need from a business perspective for success. And we help creating, we help early phase creating concepts that we can start exploring, getting user feedback on, test with users and start prototyping long before we get into really development and, and later phase kind of think about how we're going to deliver something to market. So it's really the early exploratory phase as we see it, where you can fail fast and really course correct as need be before you start investing some serious dollars in, in development and engineering. Mm-hmm. I, have a- I find that's... Go ahead, Tom. No, 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 no. Go ahead, Danielle, please. I was just saying that's that's so important to think about just through our work here. And I think I mentioned it on past podcasts before um, is we see a lot of completed, you know, technologies or semi-complete towards the end of their completed development cycle of these technologies and devices coming to us. And um, we get to meet these entrepreneurs, you know, at that time, um, in their development. And the amount of times we've seen technologies that are, like you said, amazing and life-changing, but they don't fit into the system um, and they're not going to be adopted in. It, it happens so often. So it's so great to hear, you know, that you and Zymedica have kind of put in that process of a phase zero of like, let's work on this. Let's figure out how it's going to fit in before we actually invest more time and money into it. Well, it's hard because I think that so often, you know, you, you want to quickly get data and get out there and start you making changes. And I think it's 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 um, it's an, it's maybe in some ways it's an, it's an engineering mindset. You want to quickly make something to get it out there to get um, your stake in the sand to start getting feedback and start creating care. And I think people often think about it's hard taking a step. What's perceived as being a step backwards. And getting smarter about your users and smarter about the market and smarter about the opportunities and looking a lot of at, at a lot of solutions before you start going to the finish line. So it can be perceived for some people, definitely startups, can be, it can be perceived as being um, a, a slower process or going backwards a little bit. But the reality is we're helping our user or our, our customers create products that are going to be desired and preferred and create market value. And beyond that, you look at the FDA and what they're trying to look at from making products that are usable and really thinking about um, user error or use error of, of a device where something is, if something you know could possibly injure a user or a patient, um, it used to be called user error and the blame was all on somebody using the device, but the reality is the FDA has said, uh-uh, that means you haven't designed the device correctly. It's really called use error and you need to be better about that. So I think all those things, go into really making a better product. So, you know, make sure it, use, it, it, it works is, of course, paramount functions, but then how is it used? And also, is it something that they're going to want to use? And by the users, we're not talking about just the surgeons or, or the, the primary care physicians. It could be, the, the, there's a lot of stakeholders. It could be people in, who are nurses, people who are in procurement, people who are in upper management, people who are refurbishment, uh, sales, and all these different aspects. They all have different, different, different desires and needs. And if we can answer all of those, you really make something that is really a very thoughtful product through the whole life cycle. I think you, you may have addressed my question in that last answer, but <laughs> uh, in your opening, um, when you were describing your job description and what you did at Zymedica, you said there were certain challenges with healthcare that were unique. 
Can you define those or did you just define them in that whole last section about how everyone has got to have their, no, their box challenge? No, I, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, I think the challenge is this. I think design thinking and, and industrial design in some ways is sort of new to healthcare. If you look back 10 or 15 years, it largely was about you know creating something functional that performs uh, a service to a patient and, and works. What's interesting is that we started finding out there's a lot of limitations. Things weren't, weren't, weren't very easy to use. Things were confusing. Things didn't fit. They weren't comfortable. And as you look at devices that are going more and more to something that is going to be worn on the person, handheld, um, for long periods of time too, you look at how long some surgeries take. And if someone gets someone who has maybe an older physician who has maybe the beginning of arthritis or has a lot of, you know, um, um, just, you know, my, miles on the hands, something that is comfortable to use is going to, is going to prolong their, their career and can also enhance their outcome for the patient. So only recently did healthcare, uh, really start embracing what industrial design can bring. And you, you can see the, the beginnings of it looking at what happened with toothbrushes and razors at home, right? You started getting materials and forms and things that were easy to use. And I think healthcare started taking cues from companies like Nike, like Apple, like other companies that realized, hey, there's be, this is not just about making something that looks good, but something that fits the user. Look at OXO, Good Grips. I mean, OXO, the kitchen tools company, they decided to embrace very broad, big grips on their kitchen tools because it was easier to hold for people that were of all different ages. Mm-hmm. So my mom, who has a bit of arthritis, that handle on that, 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 uh, that, that, that um, potato peeler is easier to use. And guess what? It's easier to use for me too. And I don't have arthritis. So I think they started seeing that and adopting it. And it became, um, I think, inviting us to the table from from a design standpoint. You pair that with human factors and all those wonderful aspects to it. You really create a very compelling solution that not only gives a function and fits the user, but also gives a chance to really create a brand and really help to, to create market share as well. I mean, I think, we, you know, we just talked about one of the great companies, I think, in consumer products was Gillette and being a male and having to learn how to shave and having a beard at a very early age, um, you know, is like, I, I'm, I'm happy styptic pencils are out of, out of business now. You, it's hard to find, you know, those things that would be put on a cut the razor has gotten so much better. And you can imagine that going towards a surgical tool, right? The, it's better, it fits sure. better in the hand. It's got better balance. Um, you know, you've walked through the process of where it's going as, you know, as it gets into the body. I'm sure that's all part of the, you know, part of the sort of um, exploratory phase of designing something. It definitely is. And we're, I mean, this is, this is where I look at what I get excited about healthcare is every time working on a new project, we're learning something new about a technology or perhaps an application of technology. So I, I, you know, I do not, I do, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, but I know a lot about, in my, in my case, I, I know a lot about cardiac catheterization and looking at coronary space and delivery of stents or valves or therapies to the heart. That's something I never learned in school. I learned by doing and being in the field. And, you know, I, th- I think that fundamentally um, those kinds of, of learning experiences are, are, are really, you know, paramount for in healthcare and design mm-hmm. to really help us grow and expand and, and offer these, these amazing solutions. And I think it, it's really pairing it with great technologies and, and great insights we're getting from all of our different teammates. Um, so, 
you know, that's what gets me excited about is really the the learning experience and, and the value I think that, that we can bring. So I think each time we're in a new project with a client, we're, we're kind of like learning a new language about their technology or about their new care space. Because some of the care is really emerging, right? Someone's very mature. How do you make this better? It's been done before. We want to improve it. And some are saying, hey, we found a new way that we can, we can deliver a therapy that is brand new, that is going to be um, simpler, easier, faster, less stress. Um, but will offer greater value. And, and there's a lot of exploration that goes in with this too. So uh, again, I think design is, is one one element in the whole conversation, but I, I definitely enjoy the seat at the table that, that we have to help navigate and, and deliver these, these concepts. Mm-hmm. What do you work? Go ahead, Danielle. No, no, please go, <laughs> go ahead. Um, I was going to ask, do you, you were, you said you work a lot with your research team. Do you work with Jess Peach a lot? I do. Jess yeah. Peach is a good, good friend of mine. Um, and I think uh, she definitely is, is, a, is a high watermark for someone who really is empathetic and inquisitive and insightful and, and driven. And so, you know, it, it bummed me out the first time I left Zymedica to do my own thing here in Minnesota is that I had a and, and working with her, but I was really excited to come back and work with her. And we're, we were closely together on, on projects all the time, working on a couple right now. And that's really where there's a conversation between someone like her that can really help open up those doors, ask those questions. And, you know, why? Well, why? Well, why? Because we're always talking about the seven layers of why. You ask anybody and, and they'll say, oh, this is the way you do it. Well, why do you do that? Oh, that's just the way it works. Well, why? Well, this is the way I found that it fits for me, for me best. You start peeling back the onion and Jess is incredibly good at that. So we like uh, working together with with um, collecting insights and understanding them to really give us the the context to then create the right solution going forward. So, um, you know, I joke about her name, uh, Peach. She is a peach. She's fantastic. So love, love working with Jess yeah. and team. And for all our listeners, Jess, um, I believe is a principal designer at Zymedica. And um, I actually work with her and I will do a little plug here for all of our listeners. We, um, over the past few months, have taken, she's been doing a internal monthly um, innovation forum to all the Zymedica employees where she pulls together all the newest technologies, material sensors, really any type of new gadget um, that just hit the market that month, puts them in an hour form and goes through and she speaks about them like like she's working on them. It's it's incredible. But um, a few months ago, we actually took that forum public and now anyone can watch it um, online on the third Thursday of the month. And you can find it either on our website, I think Symetica's website and um, Venture Cafe Providence is hosting it for us. So um, I just wanted to bring that up because it's a very, very cool forum. Well, it works. It, it's great for us too because oftentimes we don't always see what's 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 happening out there. A lot of our clients are bringing technology to us, which is great. We also do some exploration about things that we've heard of or have seen that we can bring to the table. But I think a lot of also what Jess finds too are things that are happening at a university level or a lab bench level that aren't commercialized yet that are really interesting. Um, and you know, whether they be cell therapies or intelligent, you know, wound dressings, or whether they be robots, surgical, whatever it wants to be, it's a, it, it's it, it's eye opening. And I think sometimes we've actually brought some of those ideas to our clients too, because of things that that they they may not have heard about, um, and that we're learning about, but ultimately have found that is a great fit for something. So I think it's a great um, knowledge uh, uh, sharing that she does. Mm-hmm. So. David, you seem extremely passionate, and I think that's an overused word today when everyone says they're passionate. But, you know, we've been talking now for 20 minutes, and Danielle and I have proffered three or four questions and haven't said much, and it's been a learning experience. 
um, and I always learn something on these episodes. Give me an idea because you're so passionate. What has been the most frustrating thing you've ever worked on? What's the most frustrating part of your job? Because because it's 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 not all a box of strawberries. That's for sure. I'm sure. Yeah. That's a great question. I, it's 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 something where um, you know the the, the challenges uh, get me excited. I think what gets most frustrating is when something can't get realized and and delivered to market. Right, the time you invest, the effort you invest, um, it doesn't it doesn't work, and it can not work for a number of reasons. You can find out that there's there's a funding challenge, which is very sad. And it does happen. A lot of startups to run out of budget, or there could be a relocation of funds within a company away from a technology or a space that you get really passionate and excited about. And, and that ends the whole engagement. Um, I think that's where most of my sadness comes from or frustrations are sort of, you know, um, um, you know, downtime or downside of, of design and development comes from me is really not being able to realize something that you're passionate about that you think you've got a great solution for and, and that you know there's a market for and you know there's people that would benefit from the therapy and you get a great client champ or a client champion. Uh, but ultimately, if it can't be realized, um, you know, that it definitely is something that is a bit of a letdown. Um, that's like, I think where I think most of my sort of frustrations lie. I think, you know, you can arguably say there's other elements too, where um, part of it is we are also agents of, of education with our clientele too, because they may not have knowledge about industrial design or about human factors or about user research or, or contextual inquiry or immersion, things like that on, on the front end. And so we do a lot of teaching. And we you know, gently, we try to encourage our clients to look here or do this thing, or we really know that this will help benefit you in the ultimately your solution. And sometimes that goes on deaf ears. And I know that there's people who are definitely are budget constrained or time constrained, or in some ways have a vision of, of how they want to get there. So I think sometimes the education aspect, I think early on got me a little bit down where, where a client would say, no, 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 we know how to do it. We know what to do. And you feel like you're a little bit handicapped or sort of, you know, not fully able to kind of give them the full value that you that you you know you can. So I think those teaching moments were harder earlier on, but I think a lot of clients now understand the value of um, empathy of the user and contextual inquiry and understanding the workflow and the task analysis. And I think we've also gotten smarter in talking in a language that they understand. Uh, with regard to the FDA, with regard to, um, you know, uh, submissions for FDA with, you know, all these, you know, research units, all these different technology terms allows to kind of speak in their language and vernacular that I think has um, helped the conversation much more. And I think a lot of our clients understand and appreciate that. So um, I guess those are kind of areas where I, I maybe have sensed some frustration, uh, but ultimately um, it's just an exciting opportunity and exciting time to be in, in, in healthcare development, I think. Well, I think given the pace of technology, you know, look, you know, look at 20 years ago, we didn't have handheld devices. We didn't have sensors. We didn't have a lot of things. Yeah. And a client can't keep up to speed with all this stuff because it's, it's just advancing so, so rapidly. So that's why we're your, your, your agent of education platform comes in when you're, you know, educating them as to what's going on. If someone finds it on the bench, as you previously spoke about in an educational institution, these things they'll never find because there's just too much going on. Yeah. Well, I think you've also, I think you raised a good point too. We've also raised, collectively, our expectations are raised. You look mm -hmm. at what you have in your hand with your iPhone or with your, sure. your Google phone, right? And the technology in that thing alone is incredible. What it allows you to do, you've seen the new Apple commercial where they have the new iPhone or the new iWatch 6, and you talk about how you can do an ECG with it. Yeah. You can monitor your, your pulse rate. You can monitor your pulse oximetry. 
And, you know, the, the announcer is, is exacerbated because everything she, she's thrown at it, they said, oh, we, we can do that already. And it's a pretty amazing <laughs> thing. So I think the bar keeps getting raised. Yep. And that is a consumer available product. This is not something that you go to the Mayo Clinic and get. This is something you go to a store and buy. And we're seeing so much more in, in devices, in technology, in predictive data, in AI. And what's happening, things are getting smarter. And I guess our expectations are getting raised higher and higher that it's easier to get these things done. And it should be simple when sometimes this development to get to that point is actually really complicated. So, you know, it's it's a I think it's an exciting um, and challenging time to sort of have this kind of technology and space that we're we're involved in. Um, but I think we're we're also educating ourselves to expect more from every engagement, every device we we possibly get. Healthcare is is included, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Tom um, asked you a question. Bought brought something up around frustration, and I think something that's kind of frustrated <laughs> all of us is it was. COVID-19 and, you know, how it's affected our work and our lives. Um, has your work changed due to COVID and has your work at Zymedica? I know that you're already working remotely, um, so you already have that capability. Yeah. How else has it affected you? It's a great question. I mean, we, we can't say we, we're, we're all affected by it in some way or capacity. I think um, it has changed how we work. Uh, we are now working remotely, um, but we're getting you know back to the offices as need be for we, we, what's nice about it, too, is we actually were uh, deemed essential. So we worked on ventilators during the whole initial COVID thrust. So that allowed us to maintain uh, keeping doors open. And what's great about it, too, it allowed us to, to have our expert team involved in solving real challenges that were going to move the needle and really help people. So um, not just keeping doors open, but also um, challenging us and really delivering a service that we were passionate about. Uh, for sure. Um, but, you know, we have changed. And so we, there are fewer of us in the office than it has been before. So collaboration is different. Um, but the reality is, is that we've had multiple offices for years. So Hong Kong, uh, Providence, we've got Philadelphia, uh, Minneapolis, where I'm in, and actually have a presence in California too. So we collectively have always thought about how we work remotely together, um, even, even before COVID. You know, the tools that we get that we use, you know, beyond Teams and Zoom and GoToMeeting, there's things like MiroBoard, which is an online collaboration tool. It acts like basically a gigantic whiteboard and allows us to real time with our clients and with our teammates collaborate. Um, so I think the, you know, things we've always used those in some capacity. We're relying on them much, much more now. So I think we've had to sharpen our pencils. We've had to make our game a bit better in that space. And we've stumbled, of course. But I think the reality is, is that we've been able to show our teams um, how it works. We haven't slowed down and also showed our clients how it works. There was one client I was working with in Beverly, Mass. Um, recently, they just launched their, their kind of first to market device. Uh, we had a kickoff with them face-to-face and it was all about, okay, great. We're going to be able to collaborate with you face-to-face. And then I came home after being in Boston and that's when they shut down New England, basically. And right away we had a pivot and the client was a little bit apprehensive about it. Um, being, being this is their first to market device. We were new working with them, but went through the tools that we use and our process. And within the first meeting, we had it virtually online. It was a concept kind of uh, building and review session with them. So very, very collaborative with the client. We walked through our content on the Miro board and they were logged into it. They were moving their curses around, moving things around, building ideas. And it was a very long working meeting. At the end of it, 
you know, the elder states in the room basically said, this is exactly the kind of experience we expected from Zymedica, right? So that was very heartening to hear that we can still deliver the kind of value and experience. And I think the reality is at the end of the day, I think Zymedica is not just about delivering a thing, but it's also creating an experience. And that's true about any product creates an experience with the user, with whoever's using it. So I think that we've been able to um, put some of the concerns at, at, at ease and show that we still can collaborate and work remotely. Uh, it definitely has also impacted our, our um, ability to do user studies, right? So a lot of times we're going the field, we're watching surgeries, we're understanding what following a tool through the whole pathway from supply to use to, to then sterilization and beyond. Um, we've had to do that via webcam. We've been going to fewer places, but we've actually been getting um, smarter about how we do these studies. We've done some studies um, through, you know, socially distant on site and everything. So I think it's, it's a, uh, I think it probably impacted most of um, the teams that were doing the, the user research and site, you know, wa- uh, studies and, and task analysis, because they really want to watch people and, and watch what surgeons and doctors and caregivers and patients are doing. But um, I think we've we've gotten we've gotten tools that allow us to to get that kind of feedback and also be able to get really very very usable feedback that we can actually use and leverage. So it hasn't really slowed us down. It's just changed how we do it, and we've gotten sharper about it for sure. Mm-hmm. No, I guess I'll I'll ask a more fun question. I'm excited to hear what um, you have to say. But what were some of the your favorite projects you've worked on in in the past, either before Zymedica or at Zymedica? That's a great question. Um, you know, I look at, and I'll, I'll tie to a bit of my career early on as a young designer, right? I, I came home one day and I told somebody I get paid to draw. How awesome is this? <laughs> this is every kid's dream, right? Um, you know, now as I'm, I'm older, I'm, I'm much more, you know, working with teams and navigating, you know, our teams through projects and trying to set some strategy and helping with business development and talking to Nemec and things like that, which is great fun too. And, and it tickles a different part of my brain. Um, but I think what's what's you know things that got me. I, I think the minute that I'm I'm back solving problems is where I'm I'm, I'm happiest. I really enjoy being on the board and, and and solving challenges. So, you know, I'll I'll go back to early. I mean, a long long time ago, it was a company called Avacor in in Minneapolis, and they were doing arterial blood gas monitoring. So they want to know how much oxygen is, is in your blood uh, during surgery. So they would they would they had a sensor that would go on to a line coming out of your your wrist that would that would be basically a, a, a Right there, it could, it could identify how much oxygen is in your blood dur- during a, a, a very invasive surgery and would, would help you know, navigate or help give the, the feedback on that. And so that, that for me was really the first time I got exposed to understanding about um, what is an arterial line and, and what is blood gas monitoring and, and, and what, you know, what, is a, what is a medical device and how is it set up and how is it used. So that really allowed me to understand that, you know, I got excited about those kinds of challenges because they were so new and so novel. And it was an area that I was never exposed to before um, that I got thrilled about that. So that was that was my first exposure to healthcare, And it really kind of set the hook um, with getting me involved and getting me excited about it. Then there's been a whole series of different projects that have really scaled up and got me thrilled. I mean, I think there's ones that open new doors too. Um, working in the cardiac catheterization labs and understanding delivery devices for St. Jude Medical that I worked on in the past, now Abbott Labs. Uh, we just delivered one called the the, uh, the Portico device. It was a second generation uh, TAVR delivery device. So a new, basically uh, putting a new valve into your heart. 
So the idea that, I mean, early on, understanding what a catheterization, cardiac catheterization lab is all like, what are, what is the process of which you are entering a femoral uh, you know, artery to get access into the heart? And what does it look like to look at an image under Sine's, um, you know, fluoro imaging and, and all those things? And what is contrast? And what is, you know, how is saline used? All these different things are really, that allowed me to really um, understand a lot of different specialities and, 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 pr- and procedures around imaging, around therapy, around delivery, and how that could be Similar therapy can be applied to the kidneys or to different part of the body um, to really navigate what's going on inside. So again, and, and we always love getting hands-on in labs and everything too, to kind of expo- explore those. But those kinds of projects got me really excited uh, with sort of medical technology. Um, and I also enjoy things that are happening in the diagnostic suite too. You look at labs that are happening in hospitals and 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 different sort of, you know, with Roche and with... Um, I mean, Fluidime and look at uh, Lexagene, other companies are doing some really amazing devices. Um, the idea that that you're you're helping to understand the the flow the throughput of understanding assays and reagents and and you know PCR all these different technologies that I'm I'm learning these acronyms understanding what these things are I keep joking about in my diagnostic group that I'm a part of I'm the dumbest guy in the room because I'm definitely coming at it from the user and design side but I'm learning about the science so those things are definitely. Um, you know, I think mind expanding and get me excited about what it, what's possible. Yeah. All the acronyms are so funny. We actually use, um, I think Zymedica a few years ago to put together a med tech dictionary <laughs> and we've taken it and we, me and May actually build upon it every year as, as we give it, we give it out for, as like an educational tool, because we sit in these classes and you're trying to bring everyone up to speed. And some of them are students, some of them are, this is their first device they're working on and the teacher is talking an acronym. So it's, it's really, it's really fun. And for me too, to learn like what all this is and just the technologies and then the problems that real people have that, you know, we have to go and help and fix. Well, there are languages that each of us as a discipline are familiar with. And I think the more you can understand those languages, the more you can be the, the, the whole connector. I keep joking about, I, I, in some ways, maybe this is a very self-centered approach of or vision of, of ID, industrial design, but I see us being the center of the conversation in the early development side where we're taking those user needs, taking the technology and taking the business goals, and we're creating something that we kind of galvanize and get clients excited about for fundraising, for development, for IP, whatever it wants to be. So I think the more we can learn those acronyms, and and I I know several, but I'm learning a lot more. Every time I have a new conversation with somebody else, there's some new acronym I have to kind of quickly Google and make sure I've now recorded and used them in, in my vernacular. Um, but it really, it I think it's definitely, um, it, and that's what, again, go back to what got me excited about it. Nike's doing great stuff. Apple's doing great stuff. Always great companies doing some cool things, but just the sheer learning, I think that I have to go through the understanding all these new technologies is just, um, it's, it's, it's thrilling, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think people get stale and this thing, type of thing where it's fancy so fast keeps you sharp. You know, the, you know, the challenge of staying sharp. Mm-hmm. You, you, you really can't, um, you can't sit on your laurels. You no. have to be able to um, suggest too. And a lot of our clients too, and I look at how our power projects come to come to Zymedica. Sometimes they have a, te- our clients have a technology. They need help commercializing it, right? They got it all figured out. They need help kind of making it fit. Other times they, they don't know quite what they need and need us to help navigate and help, help them find the right technology to kind of deliver something. So I think that we really have to be able to have our eyes open. And so you go back to, to Jessica Pish and her tech forum, we have to be able to look for new technologies. And we're definitely leveraging between programs. We learn something each time about a space and we definitely want to carry that knowledge forward to the next program. It allows us to, to do different and new, new challenges. So 
um, again, that, that always learning thing, you've got to stay sharp. Um, you can't rest in the laurels. You have to make sure that you're able to kind of, uh, um, you know, talk the talk and be able to help suggest. And, and it allows you to be more of that advisor with your clients too, versus just a service bureau trying to execute something. You can really be part of the, the, the assessment, the development, and the sort of the landscaping technology to help them grow and, and do what they want to do as a, as a company. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I have a question just um, coming from the, the startup side. Um, how long is your like function with the with your your clients? So like for phase zero into phase one, how long does that usually take? And how many people do you work with on your team? It's a, it's a great, great question. And I'm going to I'm going to challenge it by saying it depends. And it really does. Um, it, it you know, depends on the scale of the activity and the engagement. Um, I think early on, we're trying to define what success is in phase zero, try to get smart about the inputs and requirements and really say, what are we going to try to solve for? Um, And that can be a very fast activity that can happen in a matter of weeks. Um, It can also take months if you're trying to develop a new to market therapy or science and something hasn't been done before. You may need to do a little bit more homework on the front end to really understand the impact it's going to have to a workflow, to a um, you know, to a hospital, to you know, a, a payer, to whatever it wants to be. So, um, you know, I think that I mean, I think healthcare by its trade is definitely a longer term development cycle than anything else in the world. Anything in healthcare or anything in, in sorry, consumer or sporting goods or technical, it's definitely a different sort of of, of process. Um, you know, you can you can you can conduct some uh, phase zero activities in a matter of a, of, of a couple months, right? From kickoff to getting immersed in the technology to investigate, talk to users and understand and get an opinion or, or a hypothesis about something to then get into the next phase of development pretty quickly. And then like, like that phase one, I think that as we go on through the phases, I think they, they definitely get longer and longer. You know, phase zero can be pretty efficient and pretty quick and you can scale it accordingly. Phase one is really where you start to define what it is you're actually going to be developing. So you are starting to create concepts. You may be creating some feasibility prototypes. You're trying to find all the risk and get rid of the risk before you are into the engineering development where you don't want to have the risk still present. So while you know, usually I think maybe a phase one is typically two times the length of a phase zero, it seems like it's a little bit longer. Uh, months is pretty typical. You have some, depending on the scale of the product, could be many, many months, but it really depends upon, uh, again, uh, how challenging the product is. And then, of course, engineering and beyond, I think it scales up radically because now you're really trying to trying to make something work and function. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, and again, we, we can always try to find a way to scale it. And, and again, it comes to also what our clients come to us with. They may have a very specific challenge, a very specific problem they have to solve, in which case you can do a very quick phase on that and, and execute on something. Or it may be more of a statement saying, we want to change this mode of healthcare help us figure it out. And that can be more wide open. So um, I, I think it's kind of hard. I, I hate to answer with a, it depends, but it, it kind of does. That I, That's I've learned in, in a lot of our classes, a lot of my work is the answer is always usually it depends, especially in <laughs> the, the regulatory side. <laughs> um, exactly. But thank you. I, I think through my work, it's always, I'm kind of trying to bridge, you know, the corporate side of healthcare and all the bigger companies with the startups. And a lot of the startups always, we bring in the thought leaders like you to talk about what you do and how long it takes. And then the startups kind of have to translate that saying, a lot of times, like, how long did it take you? How much did it cost? And it's really going to depend, you know, depending on that startup's team and what what their um, assets are. But it's always interesting to see the differences and how they relate between, you know, entrepreneurs and then people actually in, in larger 
companies doing the same thing. Well, exactly. And I think this challenge is a lot of companies that may think that, okay, you know, design thinking or design process or, or industrial design or, or usability or whatever, it's, it sounds really expensive, right? And it doesn't have to be. And I think you can be very efficient about it, but I think not doing it in this day and age definitely puts you into a, a challenging position where the FDA may not take your submission seriously if you haven't done any kind of usability studies on that. And usability is great, but if you um, haven't thought about that at the beginning and really get the right inputs, you may not, your studies may not go well. So I think there's a lot of, I keep looking at as a little bit of preventative care. If you can do some of the early phase develop or activities, and have the sort of design process thinking, which is really, it's, 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 you know, create a hypothesis, create a concept, test it and refine. And that can be very low fidelity in paper or in, in, in very um, simple material models or simple functional things. Again, long before you're trying to engineer and re-engineer something, which you never want to hear the term re-engineer. That always means that there was something that was missed earlier on or a challenge that is present that hopefully you can solve, you can solve earlier. Um, so I think that it, people investing or companies investing in early phase engagement really helps to mitigate those, those, those gotchas that can be instead of tens of thousands of dollars can be hundreds of thousands or even millions mm -hmm. if it gets that, that far. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, scare anybody about, you know, money and everything, but um, a little bit of investment in the front side will really help you to create a differentiator or create a brand that is unique and create a solution that will really I truly believe will really move the needle for you and, and really be a therapy that you want to get to market and your customers will, will, will prefer. And hopefully you will, your stock will grow and companies will flourish mm -hmm. be, uh, because of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's also really always uh, very important and why it's very important to find, you know, an investor that knows this, the med tech side or has invested in the medical side as well. So that they understand like, a lot of the times that you're investing and they're developing, it's to mitigate risk for themselves and for the investor. Because I think we see a lot of companies, if they find investors that have no medical side, and we always are kind of like, you know, it's your decision to go with them, but you have to understand like they have a very different mindset in timeline and what you're using the money for. And then also they need to understand the risk. So I think just bridging that from exactly what we said this podcast would be be about is thinking about how you innovate and develop a product and then also thinking about the the end of it of you know getting investment and commercializing it and why it's so important to think about it when you're just thinking about an idea well risk is a huge word and it's it's something where you know the FDA is very risk adverse when it comes to people's safety, right? Which is why the FDA is in place and, and they definitely have a lot of challenging hoops to jump through, but they don't want to have any anything happen to people that they can't help mitigate, right? So, um, you know, I think that's that's something that I think, you know, and, and, and early on, I mean, risk is, it comes in so many different shapes and sizes. And so, um, you know, we're always thinking about how we can, you know, mitigate risk and how we can create a solution that is going to be really, um, you know, the, you know, the, the right way to go about it and really have, you know, the right therapy be and also be something that's obviously very, very safe too. Um, but some people can get paralyzed by, by risk too. And I think we have to be, um, you know, we, I think there's a lot that can be learned um, through just going through this process and really helping to kind of mitigate that for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, David. Um, this was a great podcast. I think uh, a lot of people will enjoy listening to it. And if anyone wants to contact you, um, if they're listening, what's the best way to do that? Uh, probably email uh, is, is easy enough to do. And uh, I, I can give that out to you unless you want to. Oh, great. Sure. So uh, it's it's the letter D and then Copeland, C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D at Zymedica.com. That's X-I-M-E-D-I-C-A.com.
Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, David. Hello, as I mentioned, don't go away. Lisa Carmel is going to come on next and tell you some exciting news about the world's largest medtech accelerator. Well, it's great to be back here on MedTech Monday. I was a guest previously uh, discussing MedTech innovation with Paula Violette of SV Health Investors. Uh, my name is Lisa Carmel. I'm with Cymedica. And in my role as VP Strategy, I serve as a liaison to some of our uh, key strategic partners. And one of them is MedTech Innovator Accelerator. It's run by CEO Paul Grant and his fabulous team. And it's now the largest MedTech accelerator in the world. Um, in fact, for the 2020 cohort, they had roughly 1,000 applicants. For their North American, European, and Middle Eastern track, it's one big track, they kick off in January, and then they conclude in the fall with the announcement of their winners at the Avamed's MedTech conference. And Zymedica has been a proud sponsor since the beginning, since their launch. And last week at the MedTech conference, the winners were announced. And it's really exciting because um, the grand prize winner uh, receives $350,000 of non-dilutive prize money. And it was uh, awarded to Reos. Um, and the CEO, Ana Lisa Somera, accepted it. Uh, Reos has a really cool wearable uh, for non-invasive monitoring of ven ventricular shunt function for hydrocephalus patients. The technology is based on, gosh, over a decade of research from Professor John Rogers Research Group at the University of Illinois, uh, Northwestern University. And uh, Professor Rogers is a world leader in these soft skin mounted electronic sensing platforms. Um, Dr. Potts and Dr. Iyer, neurosurgeons at Northwestern Medicine, had identified this flow sensing um, through these shunts as a major pain point in clinical practice. And this collaboration led to the founding of Reos. Uh, for those of you that aren't, have not heard of hydrocephalus, it's a common and costly neurosurgical condition caused by the accumulation of uh, fluid in the brain. And while it's effectively treated with surgically implanted shunts that relieve the pressure, these devices fail at 100% rates with life-threatening consequences. So I interviewed Annalisa uh, last week um, and asked her what she planned to do with her prize money, and it's definitely going to help support her clinical trials. And in fact, I interviewed uh, Annalisa and Paul Grand uh, for the Zymedica MedTech Pioneer blog, and it will be published the uh, end of October. Also worth noting, there's other awards that MedTech Innovator provides, and one of them is the Execution Award. This is for an early uh, stage startup that isn't, um, that isn't as far along as us, but it, they want to uh, raise rec uh, awareness for the, the company and highlight their uh, momentum. And that is uh, Vena Vitals won the Execution Award, and they have a continuous non-invasive blood pressure monitor in the form of a soft flexible sticker that goes on your skin. Uh, J-Labs awarded also two special awards to Reos and Parker Isaac Instruments. And Parker Isaac has the first automated scalable solution for pathologists to set um, it, 
with a focus in colorectal cancer care. And the best video award went to Leaf Therapeutics, and they have a remote patient monitoring for mental health with a wearable ECG and HIPAA compliant clinician dashboard. So if you are interested in learning more about the MedTech Innovator Accelerator, I highly recommend visiting their website, medtechinnovator.org. And you can visit cymedica.com and look for our MedTech Pioneer blog post where we'll be featuring more about the grand prize winner and the, Excel, uh, the accelerator itself. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to MedTech Monday. Always a learning experience. Have a great day.